Hello and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name's Pip Adam and this is episode 107. It's the um, 21st in our Element series. Um, we have had an amazing year, well I've had an amazing year, um, speaking with people about elements of craft. Um, I found it really fulfilling and thanks everyone so far. Still a few to go but thank you. We are deep in the land of character and in this episode I get to speak with Tatiana Kulida, um, an amazing, amazing artist. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation because um, Tatiana is a painter and I am a writer and um, it was great to sort of talk about character um, across this sort of genre divide. I think, um, yeah, so much um, useful things in what um, Tatiana said um, for writing and um, thinking about character itself. So yeah, amazing talk. Thank you very much Tatiana, it was incredible. Um, now we're also, I feel really lucky as well, um, Tatiana has offered um, an exercise at the end of this podcast um, and there are a couple of images that will help with the exercise and they're on our website better-red.com or there's a link um, in the um, show notes that you'll get on your podcast app. So yeah, um, thank you so much Tatiana for that exercise, it's, it's incredible, I have tried it and it's amazing. Um, now there's a little bit of noise in the back of this um uh, recording uh, we met at Tatiana's studio which is a very busy place um, but it's just it was so wonderful to be there like it was just so incredible um, Tatiana's work just uh, blows my mind it's incredible so yeah uh, I think that's everything except just to say thank you again to Copyright Licensing New Zealand um, for partially funding this um, series we really appreciate it and I hope you enjoy this episode thank you very much Hello, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you so much for having us in your magnificent place. It's You're welcome. So lovely. It's so lovely to be back. It always makes me happy to be here. It's really, really wonderful. Um, I wonder if we could start with you introducing yourself. Sure. Well, I am um, a painter and I am originally from Russia. I have traveled um, around the world, having spent 12 years in uh, the United States and about six years in Florence, Italy, and now um, in my seventh year uh, here in New Zealand. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, so, so I left Russia when I was 17, just straight out of high school, and into my big adventure of discovering the world on one suitcase and a lot of enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And can you tell me a little bit about what sort of work it is that you do? Yes, I am uh, a painter who works from life um, in natural light and I am classically trained which means that I have studied um, in the traditions of old masters uh, which included the study of uh, traditional materials, subject matter, um, setup, dedication to painting from life, understanding of anatomy, um, perspective and all of the various components that make up an image. Um, I also have a graduate degree in arts administration and my bachelor's in studio arts and maths. <laughs> Double major, yeah. <laughs> For me those things have often gone together, kind of like I always think of maths and perspective together, I don't know why. They just Makes sense. Yeah. yeah, numerical, yeah, architectural understanding of the world. Yeah. A calculus yeah. of sorts. 
Yeah. Oh, I like that. It's a really nice title for a book. Um, can you talk a little bit about the object that you've chosen for us to talk about today? Sure. The object is right here. It's this wonderful book. It's very special. Um, it's called To Paint is to Love Again. And it's by Henry Miller, who you know him as a writer, clearly. Um, but this book is about his experience as a painter and how he appreciated the world through um, the painter's lens. And I, I have chosen this book rather than any anything that was easy to pick up here in the studio because I think it's a nice entry into the types of things that I would choose. So it's a good grouping, uh, things that are well loved, well observed. And I actually have a quote. Um, regarding that but first let me just introduce this book to you so you can be you can understand my fascination um, to paint is to love again it's only when we look with the eyes of love that we see as the painter sees his is a love moreover which is free of possessiveness what the painter sees he is duty bound to share usually he makes us see and feel what ordinarily we ignore or are immune to. His manner of approaching the world tells us, in effect, that nothing is vile, hideous, nothing is stale, flat, or unpalatable, unless it be our own power of vision. To see is not merely to look. One must look-see, see into and around. That is amazing. <laughs> yes, so I think that describes not only the objects that I would consider near and dear to my heart, but also my approach to painting and to, li to life, because it's all about seeing into things and the ability to see and through seeing to love the world around me. So how did you first come across this book? Uh, it was really through an article that I read and uh, the title of it fascinated me. To, um, to paint is to love again because I always felt that the ability to look at something with reverence was more important than being choosy and lofty about what I want to look at mm. because it felt a little bit superficial to just say that I impose all this meaning and importance on certain things but not others. Mm. Um, so I think it wasn't about that where, you know, ego and my ideas about life and what, what's important and what's not come into play. But I think as an artist, as a painter, my role is an, a, more of an observer and being able to see everything, which is, which is how I connected to this, because the ability to see everything, uh, sort of the meaning of love, mm. that, that process of being able to see and connect rather than um, constantly editing what, what I think is good and what I think is not. Oh, I love that. Um, do you think this type of seeing can be something that we develop? Like, And do you think that perhaps this observation that goes into making art is a good way to develop this type of seeing? Or do you think that it's something innate that we just need to like hook into? 
Interesting. Yes, I, I think it is innate, but I think we lose it as we perhaps go through an education system or some way of some ways of being suggested to us for what's important and how to be and who to be. Mm. And then having lost it, it's up to us to find it again. Um, and I think artists, writers, creatives in general are in a very privileged position because the meaning of their profession is, is exactly that, the ability to, to see that, to get into the intangible and be outside of you know, the prescribed. Mm. Yeah, I'm I like, love that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask a question which is probably silly. But I'm going to ask it anyway because hmm. I've always wanted to ask you it. Sure. What is um, what is portraiture? Like, yeah. what is it to? Um, yeah, I'm sitting here surrounded by all these <laughs> images and representations of humans, and yeah. I'm just wondering, like, is there a definition of what portraiture is? Yeah, it's um, certainly elastic because we can have um, a portrait. Uh, drawn in words right we can have a portrait sometimes you, you you want an idea about something and you sort of inquire about draw me the portrait of this or draw me yeah um, portrait has to do with portrayal but I think we have to really ask ourselves what it is that that we are portraying so are we talking about the attributes and the accomplishments and the surroundings and the ideas that we have imposed on a certain subject or are we back to this previous question or are we looking at the essence of something so to me the way at least I try to approach portraiture is um, yes likeness is very important but the portrayal of the, the, the person the presence of the person is where it's really at um, that's why I'm adamant about working from life so that I have an entry into the person's world and I'm not stuck on the surface uh, depiction of, of uh, how they appear to the world. Um, so yes, portrait is the suchness of a thing and it could be a portrait of a flower very much like it could be a portrait of a person, which is why I don't think that my still life's um, or florals are any less sort of interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny because in traditional art, there's a, a little bit of this hierarchy going on. The multi-figure compositions being the ultimate skillful thing to produce, portraiture being the second one because it has this nod to you know, being able to capture the people through history and time. And then um, landscape is this this way of putting a pretty picture on the wall and then still lives are these little objects that you perhaps stick in the corner of your kitchen. <laughs> um, so, and, and I've had seasoned artists essentially tell me that the still lives, you know, why, why are you even wasting your time on such a thing like that? You know, you should be looking at the lofty things like the human figure and so on and so forth. But, you know, the entire world is contained in a, grain of sand so why can the world not be contained 
um, in a blossom or in a bird's nest or any number of things. Because I think I first came to your work actually through your still life. Like those were the first real um, like paintings I was in the room with. Like I'd seen Mm -hmm. your portraiture before, but the first paintings I was sort of in the room with were um, your still life. And I think they were some that were painted over lockdown. Mm -hmm. And um, I found them incredibly affecting, if you know Mm -hmm. what I mean. Like I just found them quite emotional to look at. And just there was something so magnificent about exactly like you're saying like the way they sort of captured a time because my understanding was they weren't done in the studio Mm -hmm. they were done at home Mm -hmm. and so yeah they're just magnificent works those works Mm, thank you I love them so much yeah it's interesting how when I think about it that way portraiture sort of dissolves and my appeal for portraiture is and regard for it is the same as my regard for still life. I guess the only distinguishing factor is the subject is a person. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And could you tell me a little bit about um, your job when you're doing a portrait? Like Mm -hmm. um, what, um, I don't know, what does that look like? Like how, Mm -hmm. how do you do that work? Right, so I, I, I do, I suppose, a couple of different types of portraits. Um, there are the commissioned portraits when I'm asked to do certain thing and there are certain attributes that I have to include. Um, perhaps it's, a, it's an environment where the sitter is placed or certain types of clothing, maybe uh, a certain pose that they have to take um, that's meaningful to the client. Um, and then the other type of portraiture is, is it's a lot more free for me to work with where I can choose somebody that I'm really interested in and we just want to spend some time together uh, with me looking at them and them looking at me and me uh, learning about what they do in life and living through them the different life that they have from mine um, and then uh, it, it kind of evolving the drawing or the painting based on what emerges so mm. there's, there's not sort of a preconceived set of goals for that picture it's more of a living thing mm. and um one thing that like the first time i met you you said it and it um completely changed the way that i write characters actually mm. you talked a lot about like speaking to people while you're mm. painting them mm-hmm. or sketching them and you said there were two reasons for that and one was this getting to know them but the, mm-hmm. the thing that really took me was this idea that you get to see the face in motion kind mm-hmm. of is that right did i get that absolutely right? yes yes of course because um let's say just easy comparison painting from a photograph or some sort of reference where a moment in time is captured is going to result in a very different product than something that's a multiplicity of impressions and uh, the changes in, in muscles and uh, as we speak, smile, you know, and it's all reflected in our mouth, cheek area and our eyes, you know, even nose moves when, when our face is affected by emotion. So being able to um, select something that the sitter perhaps returns to time and time again or something that I understand to be true uh, it, it's certainly a process that has to be watched over a number of 
sittings and in the course of conversation. And then it's really interesting because sometimes my thoughts get sort of tagged towards certain parts of the painting because I was really deeply thinking about that when I was at a certain part of the painting. But also the person's emotion can, can get tagged in the way the portrait comes out because if we talked a lot about personal struggle, for example, there's going to be something in mm. terms of that reflected in the painting, no matter how much we try to raise the corners of the mouth. <laughs> um, so that lasting impression has a sense of truth to it uh, that only human eye can can discern. Mm. Yeah. Just on a practical level, and again, another stupid question is that it feels like capturing something that's moving seems like a harder job than capturing something that's not moving. Yeah, it's excruciating. <laughs> <laughs> However, there's only a certain uh, amount of movement that really happens because uh, fortunately, you know, the, the, the structure of uh, the skull is fixed, so mm. the zygomatic bones are going to be placed in the same way relative to the eye sockets and and so on. So only the mandible is moving, possibly. Um, whereas when it's a portrait of head with body, then there's so much more articulation where it can get really tricky. Mm. Um, so yes, of course, it's it's very it's very difficult and an expression has another layer of, of movement on top of all of that but it's also where um, the deeper understanding of what's under the hood comes in because mm. you, once you have seen the mechanism of something of how it moves away and returns to then you can put it together in a much better way I can also move I can walk around the model and change my view so to understand where in space a particular part of the outline is is super helpful. Obviously, this is a lot more forward than this. Oh yeah, compared to that. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, yeah, it's fascinating because we're 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 representing a three dimensional world. So how can we do that if we're not seeing in three dimensions? And yeah. you see, that's what I think I always love about um, coming into this room is that I do feel like I'm in the company of people in a way that perhaps, um, yeah, there, there's something about that essence that is in this room. Like it does feel like being in company. It's, it's really interesting. Do mm. you ever, um, I know that, you know, part of the kaupapa is drawing from life, but mm -hmm. I'm wondering about, in, oh, actually, I can ask you this. Um, because you know in those you know as you were flicking through I was looking at some yeah. paintings by the masters and mm -hmm. I was just thinking in those multi-figure drawings mm -hmm. would they have brought in people that stood there and then they would have like put them in the position would they have costumed them or is it all coming from imagination it's a combination of things certainly the great masters some of them more than others were very well drawing from imagination because imagine if you're starting your um, training at 14 and you spend your high school years and hours and days uh, of your life in the studio and your way of seeing the world is through drawing copying the master's drawing working on the master's little snippets of mm. painting here mm. and there you know being uh, being honored by you know, doing a certain piece of the work and by the time you've done that, you know, for a couple of decades, 
certainly you can do certain things out of your head um, but but part of it is also putting people in a specific position and using costumes setting up drapery you know sometimes they would put the drapery into plaster and then it, it would dry and you have folds that you can study indefinitely well, as a student but you can understand the fall of fabric on the human form and then separate from that you have studied anatomy and you understand the articulations of bones and musculature so it all sort of supports and feeds um, each other and in some cases the masters would do um, a study of, of a particular more challenging part you know, of the face of the hands and then the, on separate occasion the drapery and then they can put that together in greater detail in painting uh, but the origin of the thought process could have very well been from uh, imagination mm -hmm. yeah so that that feeling of compositing a complex work out of multiple different sources and using many different skills is not unlike making a film mm -hmm. yeah so the great masters you know they were incredibly committed talented uh, people but not unlike you know us moderns yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. um i didn't prep you for this question and it's mm. totally i can cut it out if not but one of the things that occurs to me one of the things i loved when i did art history at university was this idea that often there are certain figures that are returned to you know like mm -hmm. um you know the figures from the bible and um mm -hmm. you know like I suppose um, famous war figures and stuff like that and I'm wondering about you know classical people mm -hmm. how do you make a decision or how do you think they made a decision around um, how to represent those people like say if you're um, painting Mary you mm -hmm. know how do you decide you know like how do you decide the right model how do you decide mm. the right you know the right facial features for mm -hmm. Mary if you know what I mean sure well, I think all of that entirely depends on which culture you're in and mm. what century you're in and what's the figure that you're portraying um, because it could be as prescriptive as following the book on how to make an icon and each particular saint would have these particular attributes to actually having a template that you have to use and then develop if you are honored to write to make this icon uh, and in case and in case of that you know artists wouldn't even sign the icon with their name because mm. they are a medium through which that artwork is brought to life it's not them as an artist creating that so the meaning of art has also changed in that way um, but then a little bit later in history uh, I guess there's more uh, freedom and being able to portray certain things but even with the ancient uh, Greeks and Romans you know between the uh, by the time you get into let's say Hellenistic period you all of a sudden you you understand movement and the various ways of um, portraying people who don't look stiff you know so maybe the question the discussion went from using canon canons of proportions and exact measurements for how the length of an arm is going to relate to the length of a torso to using more real people as references so it really it has been all all over the board uh, including things like what would be the particular symbolic 
know, ways of uh, portraying something. Maybe purity would be one color, mm, white. Mm. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, the carnate um, qualities, red. Maybe in the case of the Virgin Mary, it mm. could have been used like that. Maybe it's the expensive blue color and, and the royalty or the reverence associated with that or the warmth and the um, um, the divine quality of gilding mm, mm. that's that's another method that would have been used in portraying some characters um, yeah yeah I think it's a very complex and fa fascinating idea but there are certain yeah from from templates to archetypes to turning everything on its head, you know, as it is these days. Um, yeah, it's been all over the place. <laughs> One of the things um, I've asked, I asked a photographer this the other day, and I haven't quite worked out how to ask it without sounding um, wrong. Mm -hmm. But you are often, I don't even know how to ask it. People have a sense of how they look. Mm -hmm. I think you know sure. we, we we sort of it's that thing that when we hear our voice recorded we're like oh I don't sound like that mm. I'm wondering how what is that like you know when you um, like how do you observe people reacting to seeing themselves through your work yeah it's really varied and what I can pin it down to is has to do with how comfortable we are with ourselves so the more dissonance there might be in the sitter the more unexpected um, the reaction might be and I might be a little bit more tense about about that because of course I paint what I see and as much as I want to portray the essence you know there are certain things that are going to be there for the person to be the person and then the other part of it is we see ourselves in reverse in the mirror so it's never really ourselves that we see oh my god you just <laughs> blown my mind I didn't think of that yeah. that's so right isn't it yeah yeah so we actually see um, in fact if you if you do an experiment and you put a person in front of the double mirror that mm. kind of reverses them back into what they actually look like they would think that their head is crooked, right? Because we all have some sense, some degree of asymmetry in our body, and it's going to be opposite to what to what we're used to seeing. So it's actually quite <laughs> eye-opening, I think, even on that level for somebody to see themselves, and yeah, and see how other people see them through their eyes mm. <laughs> of the outside rather than the inside. Yeah, it, it makes sense. You know, you're seeing, you're seeing out this way, and everybody's looking out <laughs> this way. Yeah, so somehow we have to meet in the middle <laughs> in a painting. And yeah. it kind of, um, I'm really interested in like I do this really bad thing where I put things into like binaries. But that thing you talked about about likeness and essence, mm. and I don't think you couch them as being opposites. Sure. But I'm wondering in what ways our essence shows through our likeness, if you know what I mean, like in, like, yeah. you know, um, I often think, you know, like, um, my grandmother frowned a lot, yeah. and 
developed wrinkles in a certain Absolutely. place because you know yeah. she, she wasn't a smiler she had a terrible life it's little wonder she didn't smile much but yeah. I just wonder in what ways do we wear um you know wear who we are kind of physically on our person yeah, yeah. we do very much so it's mm. a very uh, important observation and the, the wrinkles would form opposite to the direction of the muscle oh. so you can almost see where they're forming and which muscle would have to be you know affected underneath mm. and then you can sort of extrapolate what that has to do with mm. Mm. one thing i notice as i look around is that um people are often in different um positions mm -hmm. um just even in this area we've yeah. got someone in quite dynamic position we've got someone at rest um yeah. there are certain objects around the people mm. um when these environments and these actions oh yeah hello <laughs> that is so cool oh my yeah, gosh i love that um so we at what stage does that sort of happen like do you pose them in a certain way as soon as you meet them or what sort of like when mm. do you decide the environment and the things that will be around them yeah so again that depends on whether it's a commission or mm. it's something that we have more liberty with uh as we progress with the work so with some of the projects i might have changed the position of the body several times and then i run into a problem where the thumb is off the painting <laughs> <laughs> something really weird like that um, it could be that we start sitting down and we realize who the person is is not a seated person at all and we must stand up um, and, it, and, it, and it could be something that's picked and it sort of sticks and because we're lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I, I would say that normally there is a sense of evolution and it's really hard to just pose somebody, almost impose. Yeah, it's mm. always a collaboration with, with the sitter for how they are, how their body is comfortable, you know, what's, what's the pose that they're going to take. And I'm not adverse to making changes because life is a garden. Mm, I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. And how long does someone sit for? Like, do you do, you do one sitting or multiple sittings? Yeah, or? multiple. Yeah, multiple. It could be uh, some of them, I don't know, 14 sessions of three hours long over months. And it could be a couple of them. And it could be anywhere in between. Uh, of course, it depends on how intense the conversation is and how ambitious my portrayal of the person would be. You know, if it's just sort of a head and shoulders, we can get somewhere in a couple of sittings. But I find that with every um, consequent sitting, you know, the, the ability to capture the essence beyond likeness is, it, um, is better served, not whether or not I do it. You know, maybe not always, um, but I certainly have more chances to look deeper and review what I have done. I guess it's sort of like editing your mm, work and writing. Mm, mm, mm. Um, yeah, because you can have a lot of various things to say, but have you said it succinctly or have you chosen the best words it comes through editing? Because that's the other thing, like looking around and also like thinking about Henry Miller as well, you know, like... I'm always, I know we're not talking about plot, but I'm always interested in this idea how um, 
we often think of story in all these structured ways, but often I think of story as something that's complete and cohesive. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, like when I look at these, they don't feel like a snapshot in time in the way that maybe a a selfie would or Mm -hmm. something like that. Like they're definitely, like I can look at them time and time again Mm. and get different things out of them. And they do have this story quality to me. You, You don't know why that's, happening do you like do you have any thoughts on why that might be (laughs) well i i suppose what what would be the the ideal thing to achieve with each painting is to create a presence okay so it becomes an object or a thing that has a life of its own a world of its own and and that's when this type of observation becomes true so i think that's sort of the ultimate way of creating things and to to hold and capture um, a, a viewer and uh, yeah that that's where that essence versus likeness thing is really helpful because we can recognize something as as what it is and that's likeness and a lot of times we don't get past that first wow factor oh you know I can see that's you mm. um, but if I can succeed at holding somebody there to you know, to want to look at it and observe and be with it. I think that's the ultimate. Because it just occurred to me that it does, I think that's what it feels like to me is sort of getting to know someone, if you know what I mean. Like it feels like yeah. they, they are a presence in the room rather than, yeah. oh, right, I could pick that person out of police line up. You know, it's, yeah. there's something more than that. Like it Absolutely. goes beyond that. Like first, because that's what I often find when I come in here is that I first of all get that complete wow of, mm. whoa, these look real, whatever mm. that means. You know, right. like they, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I'm in the present. And then there's this ongoing thing of kind of like, oh yeah, and their hair sits like this. And they, you know, there's something about yeah. getting to know them in that. Nice. Yeah, no, that's great. I think that when we say essence and presence, it has a gravity and mm. gravity has a pull and that has the reality with it mm. rather than a moment in time. Can I ask a question? This may be a very rude question, so don't answer it if not. No worries. Do people buy portraits of people they don't know? They do on occasion. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think I think we can paint a portrait that's an archetype of something. Mm. Mm. Um, and I... I don't do it often, but I also think that there's nothing wrong with purchasing a face that resonates in some way, because in the end of the day, we're, we're all people. Mm. So I'm not surprised by that. I think, I think um, in, in a country like New Zealand, where portraiture is just not so front, front and center in people's living rooms because of how they grew up in, in a very young culture. Um, it, it, it's sort of unexpected to mm. want to have a portrait of somebody that they don't know, but if if we really think about that, you know, <laughs> we uh, we are people and we like our kind. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's a if it's a uh, face that's beautiful in a way that resonates with some aspect of you, yeah, I just. See a problem with that. <laughs> and um, have you ever drawn yourself? Oh yeah, tons of times. And yeah. what's that like? 
can I ask? <laughs> oh, it's it's very complicated because it's the worst type of model. She moves <laughs> incessantly and just wouldn't stay put and comes back and forth and squints her eyes. You know, forget about painting eyes, it's drawing eyes. Very difficult. So it involves a mirror and a certain position and a certain cramp in the shoulders because you have to <laughs> hold the tool and remain still all at the same time. But it's a wonderful way of exploring a new technique, of having a cheap model, mm. of having a moment of introspection at a particular time in your life. And you know, of course, you can think back to the famous Rembrandt self-portraits, which are probably one of the most worthwhile types of art produced ever in the history of humankind. Mm. Um, yeah, just that ability of being with oneself think is essential mm. how, how can you be with anybody else if we haven't learned step one <laughs> and that idea of um that something uh, you know it brings us back to that book again you know like that idea of um you know the body that we're familiar with there's something nice about looking at it with that frame of um interest and curiosity and love there's mm. something really nice about that yeah 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 i remember reading um Rita Angus's um, biography and there, there was a section about her drawing herself as a nude self-portrait mm. and, and the types of things that uh, the thoughts that arose when she was looking at herself and seeing herself as as a body as a human as a as a woman as a sensual being and yeah I thought it was very tender yeah <laughs> I, I, I um I, she's dead now, but I had an aunt who um, painted, um, her husband became sick and she took up painting to make money and um, she um, did nudes and I have this very early memory of walking into her house with her sort of stripped bare, trying to work out where the light was falling and, and you know, there was something wonderful about those paintings that even though she would mask the faces and everything, they're one of the things mm. that remain of her, which are these incredible, um, you know, she was writing, she was painting quite commercially you know mm, like, um, mm -hmm. for for sale but just this wonderful thing that something of her remains in all of those paintings because mm. of course she couldn't afford a model and yeah it was just it, it's quite incredible this idea of observing the self I don't know like I think it's quite incredible mm. how much as I'm looking around like obviously I just have to come back to this painting where someone has extra arms <laughs> um, how much leeway do you have to sort of you know, there's something incredible about a painting that sort of we recognise the likeness, but there's something slightly uncanny about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it be, um, you know, I think just the very act of being in the presence of these is mm. slightly uncanny because the person's sure. likeness is here, but they're not. Mm -hmm. How much leeway do you think you have? I guess it's around, you know, whether you are commissioning or, yeah, I don't know. It, it all depends on who I'm painting. Um, I think the sense of play of life is one of the wonderful, effervescent, essential qualities that we have. That is why we like shiny jewelry mm. and sparkling wine and the dew drops in the, in the grass and it just goes on and on. Um, but to be able to put that sense of play and silliness and liveliness um, is is warming and it's human 
so I, I like to do that as much as I can. And of course, I can't always do that in, in a serious commission. Yes, I, I probably wouldn't be doing much of that, uh, if any at all. Um, but the particular painting that you have referred to um, is of a very interesting, uh, maybe quirky in some ways, person who, who I knew wouldn't be offended by uh, my superimposing of a dream that I had of this four-armed man. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he's gay and he has two, part, it's, it's the three of them, partners, mm -hmm. right? So I gave him a set of hands for each one of them. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. But I could also sort of re reference my own dream. So for, for me, it wasn't him in my dream, but the idea of uh, Ganesha coming to life, yeah. I thought was really fun to play with. Um, yeah, there's some other elements in, in that painting that are playful and a little personal, but I think the ability to do that sort of makes the whole thing a whole lot less serious because, mm. you know, we're not uh, solving world problems here, <laughs> you know, one heavy decision at a time. We are solving all of the world world's problems, making light-hearted observations and meaningful connections mm. one at a time mm. um, but i think the the ease and the joy and the love just has to come through somehow because that seriousness that heavy rigor of, of things sometimes kills our best intentions mm. Mm. Um, yeah so it's just a bit of an antidote to that i love it <laughs> because i must admit you know like i um you know, like when I see paintings like this, sometimes I do think, oh, you know, I get quite reverent. I'm like, oh, yes, serious stuff. But that's <laughs> what I've always loved about hanging out with you is that you, part of that joy is what comes through. It's not, it's not Good. all like serious. <laughs> um, I just wondered if you did, just as a finishing off thing, um, you're working with some frames at the moment yes. for an exhibition that's coming up next year, right? Yes. Do you yes. want to talk? Can you talk a sure. little bit about yeah, it? Yeah, of course yeah. I can. Yes. Um, it's a it's a body of nine portraits, and wow. these portraits are um, around the issue of climate change and the type of work that has to happen in all sorts of uh, layers of life uh, for it to, for us to be considerate and effective, I suppose. Mm. Um, and it started as a curiosity about the science of producing what we know about climate change and it quickly went into understanding of larger ideas. Um, Jane Goodall was one of the sitters and her idea how hope is not this useless feeling that we uh, experience but an essential trait for human survival mm -hmm. that really resonated with me uh, and really takes climate change out of its climate change bucket and into uh, anything that we can really face as a grown-up or as a parent or mm. as a person in the modern world um, things like the project branched into things like honoring your body and the knowledge of your culture and and the and the givens of your anatomy in order to um, uh, understand yourself and interact with the world in a competent way. Mm. Um, of course, the idea of 
growing your food and <laughs> doing it in a sustainable way. So it has all these little whirlpools of of thought, you know, these offshoots that display the complexity um, of the issue and the interconnectedness of, of the solution. So I found it very exciting that I could paint a number of people that I was interested in painting, but also uh, have that body of work touch on something that I cared about mm. as, as a human and as a parent mm. uh, raising two children in the world. So the exhibition will go up in January and the launch will be at some stage in February and it would be it will be at the Beehive, and I'm super excited. But because I've I've spent over three years painting these paintings, and now hand finishing the frames to sort of match and carry further the message and the idea, um, it's a tremendous privilege to to bring these works to be seen outside of the studio <laughs> because they've been um, yeah lonely here. I think the the completion of the of the art cycle is always the delivery and the connection to the audience. It's never really finished, the painting. It's not really finished until it has been seen mm. or the book has been read, in my opinion. Mm. Mm. Um, so just having the venue um, and such a fantastic venue, in fact, uh, to share this with the world just warms my heart. <laughs> it's been, I mean, I, I don't come up here a lot, but it's been beautiful watching them grow and I'm just so looking forward to January next year. It's going to be magnificent to see them all in company together. It'll be really yes. lovely. It'll be awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Um, and yeah, thanks heaps. Wonderful. <laughs> yes, so this exercise has, has to do with the ability of seeing something in its entirety rather than doing what humans do best and shortcut their perception about something based on the certain clues so we're very good at um, super quickly processing somebody's face in order to understand certain markers, such as emotion, you know, is there a threat, um, etc. So um, we have evolved to kind of sh shortcut through the process of seeing something for what it actually is. Mm. And I think that idea can be applied to anything, you know, our way of making these constructs and conclusions and not really look. Mm. You know, it's very pervasive. Uh, so this is a wonderful exercise of just showing to somebody how you can do it differently and how much more accuracy something could contain. And the idea comes from, um, th this is how I base the training here in the studio because I also run the school for classical drawing and painting and it has to do with drawing with envelopes. Uh, so the site size method, the French academic method, um, they would reference this idea of how, how to draw something through an envelope. And in essence, in its most basic way, is how do you represent a complex form in the most abstract and correct way? So you can see that this foot, for example, at its most basic essence is a triangle. Mm. So if I had to pick a marble block for sculpting something, I'm not going to get a round lump. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look for something that will give me this sort of uh, triangular um, structure. Well, in, in 3D, perhaps it would be a different word, but um, that's 
that's the way to see things. And here is an exercise where you could use a given number of lines to represent something in the most basic way. So obviously this is very simple. You can use three lines and this is a triangle. You use five lines here, three lines here, and it's, you know, how do we see something? Because when we are drawn across the painting, across the room, we're not seeing what each finger is doing and how each hair lies on somebody's head. We're going to see this big abstract shape and that's fundamental in being able to see things in a real sense and, and uh, achieve accuracy. So um, the listeners could have a go at having the most basic envelope for these masterworks. Um, and uh, yeah, just sort of amend the, the way that they look at the world. Another way of doing this, or another helpful way of really seeing for the sake of visual elements is squinting. So that you can do that abstraction and simplification in a concentrated way. Awesome. Thank you.